Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you flip open to Acts chapter 5 with me. Acts chapter 5. And we'll start in verse 12 today. But we've been in a, a sermon series for uh, quite some time now in Acts, and we'll continue to be in the rest of the book of Acts until we're done. And so I don't know how long that's going to be, but uh, hey, we're, we're taking it one step at a time. But uh, here's the deal. The whole entire book of Acts is founded on one verse, and uh, that verse is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and this is what it says. There we go. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling, me about, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you want to put it for us into today's terms, we could say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Glasgow, throughout Valley County, in Montana, and to the outer ends of the earth. And so the whole entire point is that every single thing about us as Christians, about the time that we accept Jesus Christ and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that we become God's witnesses. Every single thing about our life is a witness to him. And so we've been watching the early church and kind of taking things from them and seeing what's, um, what's happening in their lives. And, uh, hey, how can we maybe be more like them? Or what is the Holy Spirit calling us to do? And so today is no different. In fact, actually, if you've been with us through the whole entire Acts sermon, it sounds like the exact same thing I've been preaching for a while. Um, but I, I really love this story, first of all, because it's got angels in it and somebody gets out of prison. And it just reminds me of how much we think we're so much better than God is and God shows up and... And then we realize we've got nothing. And this is exactly what's uh, happening in this scripture. And so what we're going to do this morning um, is um, not different from whatever, but we're not going to read the whole entire um, pieces of scripture at one sitting. We'll just take a chunk at a time and kind of look at it. And then at the very end, I'm going to talk a couple about uh, talk to you about a couple things about the insights that we've got going on in this piece of scripture. And so before we do that, let's pray this morning. God, we pray this part of the sermon, not because we need to get the right words or anything like that, but because we want to get our hearts ready for you to enter in. We want your word to enter in and to change us and to show us insights that we've never seen or to convict us, to move us, to challenge us. And so, God, would we be ready to hear from you? Would we be able to see you a little bit differently today? And in your name we pray, amen. Have you ever been in a project where you start working on something and it's a really good thing, but then things start breaking? And so then you have to fix that thing, and then as you're fixing that, another thing breaks, and then another thing breaks, or pieces don't come together like we want to. And, and I feel like in this scripture today that as we look at this, this is exactly what happens is, is these apostles feel like God has been telling them something to do, and things keep breaking but yet God shows up in mighty ways and it's as if they're just going, no, we're not going to be distracted by the things that are breaking. We're just going to keep moving forward because you remember the last time, uh, so this story is about the apostles going to jail, but the last time the apostles got out of jail, specifically James or specifically John and Peter, when they went to jail, they come back out and the first thing they ask for is, God, would you give us boldness to continue to keep preaching? 
And so we find in verse 12 through verse 16, this is exactly what happens is they are boldly preaching the scripture. It says this, the apostles were performing many miracles. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the side screen. The apostles were performing many miracles, signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regards for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. How cool is this? That in the midst of them saying, hey, we're still going to be preaching Jesus, they come out into the temple and the Solomon's Colonnade is right by the temple, right next to it in this huge porch where lots of people can gather. In fact, actually, we know that the church is about 5,000 people strong at this point. And they're all sitting there being taught and there's people around them going, man, I, I think this is really cool, but I'm waiting to see what's going on and I'm afraid of what's happening inside the temple because I don't want to go against that system. But then there's this new system that I don't know how to deal with and man, it is, it is this spectacle that we see and, and we even see in this part where um, or people are struggling by going, this old system that seemed to work and this new system that's being placed, what's going on here? And the author, Luke, sets up some amazing stuff for the end of the chapter here because what he's trying to say is, wait a second, the old system of sacrificing is now gone. He's already talked about this in, in previous scriptures and he's saying, you need to understand the resurrected Jesus, you need to understand that he's creating a brand new system in which it is about grace and it is about mercy. But for some reason, we still get stuck on different things, right? These people are not wanting to go in because they know what's going to happen to them. They're going to be persecuted. And then you have people doing something interesting. You have people actually bringing their sick and to be healed out in the streets just so Peter's shadow can fall on them. Now, the interesting thing about this is we don't know that Peter's shadow actually healed them. We, actually, we, we don't know that. We do know that they came later on and um, in the crowds came from other villages and they prayed for them and their sick were healed. But we don't know if Peter's um, shadow actually did heal them. But this is something interesting that I thought about that. When people are confused or don't understand what's going on, they're going to try everything they possibly can without actually going all the way in to be a part of something that's going on. And so we have people who want the healing, but they don't really want to know who the healer really is. They want to see the miraculous signs, but they don't want to jump all in for who Jesus is. And so they would much rather be the partakers of what they can get from Jesus than actually from what they can do for Jesus as well. And so we start this system of people kind of going, I'm stuck, I don't know, I need to do this, but I'm afraid. Right away in verse 17 and 17 through 18, we see this happening. The high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Very first thing that sticks out to me right away in this is the jealousy that the old system had to the new system. We are jealous because people are starting to listen to you. People are starting to follow you. Instead of them going, are you pointing to God? Are you pointing to what Jesus is doing? They are holding on to what's going on. And so because they are the big old tradition, they start saying, we can make you stop. So what do they do? They arrest all 12 apostles 
They arrest all 12 of them. They put them in jail. And when it says the public jail, this is what's going on, is that this was one of those jails that people could just walk by in the evening, and they could see them sitting in the gates right there. And so it's a public spectacle. It is, I can't believe you would do this. And so out of their jealousy, they are just completely trying to shame them. Stop doing this. Stop following Jesus. Stop talking about him. Stop talking about his resurrection. Stop talking about the power he has. Stop healing people because you're messing the system up. Right away in verse 19 through 20, we see, but guess what happens? By the way, this is way better than an Avengers movie right here. And I can't believe I just said that. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. When I look at this and I think about the old system, it was an old system of death. And keep slaughtering animals so that your sin can be forgiven. And when Jesus comes along, it's the story of life now. It is a message of life. And just right away, does your life show that the witness of Christ in your life is a message of life or is a message of doom and gloom? And so what happens? They get out of jail. And most of the time in all of our lives when we see this happening, hey, go back to the temple and preach, we would go, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm okay with safety. Um, let's just go somewhere else so that, that we can let the anger of them, their jealousy die down a little bit and then we'll go back in and preach. And so, no, go right now. And so what do they do? So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council. The full assembly of elders of Israel were there. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards came, went to the jail, sorry, went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, nobody was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing right out in the temple teaching the people. So can you, can you imagine this? The apostles are sitting in jail. They have no clue what's going on. They're just sitting there going, God told us to preach, so we're going to preach. We're preaching Jesus. We're healing people. We don't know how it happens. The Holy Spirit completely fills us, and we are going on and having lots of fun. And so they're sitting in jail trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, the gates open up, and they walk out. And go back and start preaching once again. The next morning they come and it's still completely locked. Everybody's dumb. Everybody has no clue what's going on. And they're going, where else do you think I would go? It's kind of like Jesus when he leaves his parents and his parents are all frustrated and trying to look for him and find him and then they go back and he's like, yeah, where else would I be but in the temple with my father? Like the 12 apostles are like, yeah, where else would I be? We're preaching Jesus. You're not going to stop us. This is unbelievable to me that the whole entire system looks completely dumb. The old system goes, wait a second, we thought we had the power, and instantly they find out that they do not have any power whatsoever. And this is, 
So the jealousy of the old system starts actually going into saying, no, now we're going to instill fear in you. So we go from shame to go, now we're going to really, we're not, we're not going to make you feel bad about what you're doing anymore. We're, we're going to put the fear in you. And in verse 26, it says, the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, all 12 of them once again, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high priest, where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders, never again, to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teachings about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Then God of our ancestors, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him. Man alive, the boldness. You killed him. Which, by the way, if you haven't been here with us, um, these are the people that killed Jesus. And so when he says you, he's being incredibly bold and saying, no, you clearly killed him. And so he's trying to get them to respond to see what they did wrong. But in today's day and age, we know that our sin is what put him on the cross. He had to die for our sin. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. Going right back to the exact same gospel over and over again. The old system said that we are dead in our transgressions and our sin. And so you have to keep sacrificing and keep trying to appease God. No, God's already did it. Forgiveness is offered to us through Jesus Christ. And then, I, I want to go back to Matthew 6.33, and you guys don't have to put it back up there, but when Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness... And all these things will be added unto you as well. What Peter is saying in this piece of scripture is this. We will always, always, always follow God first. You can keep telling us not to preach this. You can keep telling us to worry or put fear into us about what you're going to do to us next. But you need to understand that we will always follow God. That is, that is an incredibly hard place to be, and we're, we're going to get there a little bit, but I just want you to think about that. This is, if there was one verse in my life that is always centered me and brought me back, which I sometimes forget, and I don't understand how I forget it, but that's the verse, Matthew 6, 33. Whatever spot I find myself in, would you just simply, Seth, seek the kingdom of God first? All the other stuff will work itself out. And so right away, they're already saying, we're following God first. And so you may be trying to put fear into us, but we're not afraid of you. And then the next part of this sermon or of this scripture hits pretty hard because guess what? I think here's the fear of what happens to us is now we get into true suffering. Verses 33 through 39, and it says this. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. But God is pretty amazing. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, they, there was that fellow, Thaddeus, who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all of his followers went their various ways. 
The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planned and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be over. It will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again speak in the name of Jesus, and they left them. So they go from almost dying to just being flogged, and by one guy saying this, you need to understand something. If this is just fake, it's not going to be a big deal. They'll just walk away. Jesus is dead. We've killed him. They're the followers. And so if this isn't real, it's going to die out on its own anyway. So stop fighting it. But if it is real, you don't want to find yourself on the other side of God. This impresses me because you finally have a guy who's, who is in the old system, Right? And he's going, wait a second, what if this is God-led? I certainly don't want to be against God. And so in a moment of just, ah, we'll, we'll let it go, they just end up flogging them. And if you don't know what flogging is, is, is basically a, a whip, right? And so they whip them until uh, they, their, uh, their backs end up splitting open and bleeding and so they whip them I don't know how many times that is I I want to say it's like 13 times but I have no clue uh, but they they flog the, the the men and this is what ends up happening the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. The apostles left the high council after they'd been whipped, rejoicing Jesus. And I say when my hot coffee, or my coffee doesn't come hot to me, just suffering for Jesus, Right? Hashtag blessed. And these men in the midst of being flogged, they are rejoicing for this very moment to say this is what we've been looking for this whole entire time. Jesus told us it was coming. It's happening. And we are rejoicing in it because we know that this is the true gospel. And of course we know, I mean, we, we're going to go on and it's kind of the, where uh, the religious leaders kind of stop persecuting in the book of Acts. They, persecution still happens even more, but this is where we stop actually seeing the Pharisees and the Sadducees continue to go after the apostles over and over again. It's taken in a different form and Brian's going to be preaching on that in, in the next weeks to follow. But I want to talk about a little bit of insights from this um, scripture that I think apply to us today because here's what I would like to say that if we in this room said that any of us are being persecuted, we are absolutely flattering ourselves. That the persecution of this day, most of us, I think, and, and, and I've been praying about this over and over again, that I ask God, why couldn't I, why couldn't I either be born in this era or be born in a place where persecution happens? And I'm, I'm not joking to you. I, I legit heard a voice. I don't know if it's my own voice or God's voice, but he's like, I, I let you be born in America because that's all you can handle. So um, I felt like God was saying I'm, I'm a big wimp. Um, but I, I think what that means is this, is that, um, and I, 
I am certainly blessed that maybe God is allowing me to work on these things to be ready to be persecuted. Because I think there's a lot of us when we, uh, when we go up against fear or we go up against um, suffering for something, we, we kind of take a step back and we, we really question, is this what God is really asking us to do? And so I, I don't think that our question should be, why are these men and women being persecuted? But rather, I think the question needs to be, why am I not being persecuted for my faith? I would, I would love to look in here and go, hey, this is how you need to be persecuted, so here you go. But maybe we need to take a step back and go, am I being persecuted do I necessarily need to be persecuted? And that's where um, I, I want to get to you today is when I ask that question, why am I not being persecuted? I'm, I'm not asking you to go outside these walls and go look for somebody to start beating you up for your faith, right? I'm not looking for you to go and uh, get on Instagram or Facebook and start posting a whole bunch of things that may or may not be offensive because I really do want you to be in a relationship with people. I want you to be able to talk to them in, in a way that is not, man, I'm going to go pick a fight. That's not what I'm asking for. What I am asking for is, can you today, in your seats, me today, up here, answer a few questions? In fact, I have, I have four questions, and they're not up on the screen, and I don't need you to write them down, but I do want you to think about it. And the first question is this, am I living consistently in view of what I know about Christ? Am I living consistently in view of what I know about Christ? If you know what some of Christ's views are, or if you know that he's said to live your life a certain way, are you living that way? Give you a perfect example. This morning, Breezy read Matthew 6, 26 to 33. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Are you worried today about Tomorrow. Or are you consistently worried about tomorrow? What do you know about Christ? What do you know about what he has done for you? Are you consistently going, I'm not forgiven. I'm a sinful person and I, Jesus can't forgive me. Well, that's not in view of what Christ is saying. In fact, actually, the gospel is, is that Christ came to die on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven. Another question, am I living a life that is in accord with what I'm learning in Scripture? Are you allowing Scripture to continually speak to you over and over again? Or are you just simply taking the Sunday school answer scriptures and living life that way? We take verses out of context so much. But are we allowing scripture to guide us and direct us in where we're going every day? Second question, am I refusing to do what I know he wants from me. Is there something you know that God is asking you to do that you've been refusing to do? Are you trying to save face in front of somebody? Is there forgiveness that you need to offer to someone because Christ has forgiven you? Is there maybe judgment that you've put on somebody that you need to go, wait a second, I, I, I don't need to be judging that person. Has God been asking you over and over again to walk over and talk to somebody? Have you been refusing to pray with your spouse? Have you been refusing to read scripture? I 
I can say yes to a couple of those. And the last question is, is, am I refusing to share my faith because of fear of rejection or appearing unintellectual or uncultured or for any other reason? The funny thing that I think about that question is, is if we look back at Acts 1.8, we are witnesses in everything. And so even though you may be refusing to share your faith, your faith is still being shown over and over again. I love when the apostles have come to all of these. They keep on saying, no, we are going to obey God. That's our calling. That's what we're going to do. You can persecute us. You can whip us. You can stone us. But no, we're, we're, we're not going to... We're not going to not obey God. There's two insights from this scripture, really, that I, that I want to dive into a little bit before we get into showing um, a testimony to you guys, but it's this. Um, and I don't know who this author is, and I tried to find it, and so I'm sorry I can't, but if you want to fill in the blanks with me, here you go. And I need you to cross out the word for before that first um, blank. And it says this, if you, are not if you are not ready to face opposition and criticism because of your faith in and obedience to God, then you are not ready to be used by God. I think all the time we want to wonder why, why am I not being persecuted or why, why are these things? But most of the time, if I'm honest, I don't want opposition and I don't want criticism. I want the healing more than I want the healer. And the second one is this. The will of God may set you against popular opinion, not with it. Now, I don't want you leaving this place and going, well, see, people have a different opinion of me. Yes, I'm being persecuted. But I want you first to answer those questions, or I shouldn't say us. I, I want to say, uh, I shouldn't say you, I should say us. I want us to answer, ask, answer those questions because it's not about blasting something on Facebook. I, I, I keep on getting this picture in my mind, you know. Um, I get made fun of kind of in our office a little bit because um, I uh, diffuse oils in my office because I just like the smell. And so when somebody like has some sort of a headache, I'm like, hey, I got some peppermint for you. And at first they were like, oh, the snake oils, right? Like, and now they love them, right, Brian? Yeah, I'm just joking. Brian actually never made fun of me for them. But I, I, it's not one of those things where we're going online to post, hey, oils over traditional medicine. That's not what kind of persecution I'm asking for. The persecution that I'm talking about is this. Do you know full well what God has asked you to do in your life and you are following through with that? It's based on scripture. It is living the way through scripture that God is asking us to live, that I'm going to love crazily. I'm maybe going to give more than I ever should. I'm going to forgive more than I was ever meant to do. I'm going to stand up for what the Bible says about different standpoints. And it's not even about picking up a cause, but it is about seeking God and going, God, what do you have for us? And no matter where we're at in that process, if we come against opposition or criticism, we'll be okay with it. Sometimes we may not understand what God is doing as we're living our faith out in him. But at the very end of it, can we say, God, whatever I'm going through, I'm rejoicing in you. And this story of, uh, I, I interviewed a couple for this, and I've been trying to figure out um, when to put their testimony um, in 
this Acts series, and it just happened to fall right on in this one. And um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a precursor uh, because uh, we actually interviewed them and we got enough video for 40 minutes of video. And we're not going to show you 40 minutes of video, but we boiled it all down to like six and a half minutes. And uh, the story is of Caleb and Becca Olfert. And when they, before they moved up here, they had felt God's calling. This is not about foster parenting, by the way, though it's a great thing on foster parenting. But their life, they were going, God, what do you have for us? And so God was calling them into foster care. And they would get a kid, nurse them back to health, kind of help them out. And then the kids would be taken from their home again to go back. And they did that about three times, right? And they were in the process of adoption. And they're just going, God, what do you have for us? What is going on? And their story of looking back at Scripture and going, God, this is what Scripture says, and so we can walk in it, just goes to show that, man, we might have a little bit of fear or we may face opposition. But the whole point is that we want to continue to go. No, we're going to point to Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to end with a, a Scripture from First Timothy or Second Timothy. And so would you guys roll that video? Our story began five years ago when we moved up to Glasgow, Montana, um, approximately five years ago. Um, man, at that point, we uh, lived in another small town in Montana, and we were tossed up with the question, what should we do with our life? I was um, in a job I didn't really want to be gone from my new daughter, uh, 40 hours a week, most of the time more than that. We nailed it down to a couple options. We were either going to, we were going to be missionaries in Bolivia or we were going to do foster care and still be missionaries because that's half of it is we're all missionaries. And um, so we chose to come be missionaries in Glasgow in the form of farming during the daytime and whatever else God asked us to do at the rest of the time. And we've been in and out of doing, doing that for the past five years and had a few more kids in between, in between. And wow, I guess that, that brings us to the gist of, of what God's been doing in our life for the past five years. But we didn't um, intend to ever foster. It's, that was never really our intent and we've always longed for adoption and um, I feel like case after case we're like, seriously, are you kidding me? <laughs> we, they're not going to stay and kids come into our home and it, it's, you just see it so evident when it's just in your face, just just the brokenness that's in your face because I feel like you, you see this with your own kids and you just know them from day one and it's no, it's just normal and it's good and it's wonderful to see that. But I, I, we see such a stark difference when it's children that have been physically abused or neglected or whatever. When we were in Billings, we, we fostered be, before we moved up here. And our first, like our second one was this little boy that came to us at 10 months old and he was like so severely beaten to a pulp that he was like declared a homicide in the, in the yeah, hospital. pronounced dead in the hospital. <clears throat> He woke up in the ER and they flew him to Denver and then like right when like two weeks later he lost his ability to suck because he was so severely beaten and then they dropped him off on our, on our doorstep and they said here you go and he's on a feeding tube and he's a one-year-old and he's on an NG tube and that's not a good plan for a one-year-old. I mean every night he would rip it out and every night we'd go back to the ER and like get it reinserted and I'm like God I can't do this anymore. Like, you are going to have to heal this child. So we like laid our hands on him and like Honestly, God healed him. He was able to suck, like, all of a sudden, and, um, like, within a few weeks, I mean, he was off the NG tube, and God just, like, showed up in big ways. And But then we were moving here, and he was going back with birth mom, and it's like, really, God, like, what are you doing? And so we closed that chapter, and we moved up here. One day I was just out for a run afterward, like, and I was just, like, talking to God and praying, and just, like, what? Why did you take them? Like, I just feel like we do so much work. They came from such, like, such severe, like, severe neglect. And 
we just nurse them back to health and then we just take them away. And um, like, I just need like to know that you're in this again, that you're like gonna do this, like you're gonna, you're gonna follow through and do something. And I go inside and my sister-in-law called and she said, I just sound so weird, but we just got a call. She said she just got a call from her friend that she went to high school with that loves Jesus and she is adopting um, that little boy in Billings that we first fostered or whatever. It was such a chapter in our life that was not shut and I felt like he was just like closing that chapter and like he does place the lonely in families and I was able to connect with this lady and see where this little boy was at now. I mean much four years later he was much older and it was so neat to see and to know that like he didn't fit in our family. It, it didn't fit. It didn't work right. We were. It was. It was a time that was like God was asking us to care for this little boy. <laughs> Who am I to know what is best? It. It really is uh, trusting that God is in charge and is sovereign, and sitting back and resting, resting in His guidance. I don't know. I. <laughs> coming, the picture of Noah, I mean, it, it always sticks in my mind. Uh, 100 years, 120 years, however long he built the ark, I don't remember. But um, if he can sit there and build a boat for that long without any moisture, uh, then why am I complaining about two and a half years of seemingly fruitless time spent? when we, we really here are here to simply glorify Him and to let our lives be a testimony. And if you spend a hundred years building a boat, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, it's a gift to see a small picture of His kingdom and a small fruit and spending our time Doing what he asks us to is uh, a privilege. God has taught us major things about who he is and how he, how he works in our lives and how we should view him and how we should respond to his guidance. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, just learning things like that play a vastly huge role in the rest of our lives. So I begin to think that um, it's not about persecution. It's not about trying to figure out the why even. It is about going, I want to give God all of the glory I possibly can. Whether I'm persecuted or not, or whether I find myself in jail or not for the sake of his name, it becomes about showing his righteousness, showing the glory of him. Because when we're in the place, we find out that, hey, angels come and help us out. And in the midst of flogging, we find rejoice. In the midst of asking why, we can understand that we can leave them at the feet of Jesus and know that he takes care of all of things. And this is what it says in 2 Timothy. And actually, I'm going to ask the worship team to come forth right now because we're going to sing the song, Jesus Messiah. And this verse goes right along with it as I read it. It says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by appearing of Christ Jesus, by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior, he broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. That's the whole point. The whole point is not asking, God, would you bring 
would you bring persecution or opposition or criticism? Or that I'm on the right side of the right opinion, but God, would I follow you so that when people maybe come in and out of my house and I don't understand why, I know that you do place the lost and lonely people. I do know that you heal. I've seen it with my own eyes and I can trust because this has been your plan from the very beginning. That the system that used to bring death is made, a, is made life through Jesus Christ. And so let's sing this song, Jesus Messiah, and I'll have Brian come and close. Acts 5.28 We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. Why don't we face persecution today? That question begs to think that actually we're sharing Jesus so much that we could face persecution. That we, we are in our schools, in our job place at Reynolds and Albertsons and we're sharing Jesus so much that we are shocked that there's no persecution. But I don't think that's true. I think we don't face persecution because we've been led to believe that this is a Christian country founded on Christian principles. And so when they make a law for us not to share Jesus in public places, we listen. We believe them. And so we think a Facebook post and coming to church on Sunday is good enough. But believe me, there are those in our country that do face persecution. They lose their businesses when they say that they're going to stand up for Christ. We aren't persecuted because we're scared. Not because of the physical things that will happen to our body. They don't flog anymore. They're not going to crucify us. They're going to take our money and our livelihood. And it's amazing that we read out of Matthew 6. is actually the same verses that we were going over in real church all this week. Do we worry about tomorrow so much that we don't share Jesus? Think of where you spend all day. If you started sharing Jesus, would you be persecuted? I think the answer is a resounding yes. We're not supposed to share. Right across the street from our church, we're not supposed to share inside those walls. Now imagine if your child or your nephew or one of your friends got expelled or suspended, what would your advice be? Stop sharing at school? School is more important. You need to get good grades, you need to graduate. I don't think that's the example we have here in Acts chapter five. And so the challenge is, Let's see if we can share Jesus enough to where we're, perse we're persecuted. And if you're anything like me, right now you're thinking of all the reasons and excuses not to. You're sitting in your chair just like I was, sitting here ready to say this, going, but wait a minute, this isn't right. This isn't what I've been raised to do. This isn't what the church has been telling us to do. The church has said that Sundays are good enough. We can worship, we can lift up God. And then, six days a week, we can be quiet about it because this is a Christian nation and God bless America. Stop with the excuses. Let's read the scripture. Let's see what it's saying. And let's boldly run into persecution. Think about the opposite of this. If we're not sharing Jesus in every opportunity of our life, we're saying that we're, we've got it handled. Jesus isn't the one that's given us our house, given us our job, given us our children, given us our family, given us our friends, given us our food, giving us the very breath that we have right now.
We're saying that we've got it handled if we can't share with our waitress. If we can't share with our boss, if we can't share with our coworker, if we can't share with our teacher, if we can't share with our friends. And as Seth already said, the goal is not to tell everybody how they're sinning. The goal is to tell everyone how they can be saved. How they can have joy, how they can have value, how they can have worth, how they can know eternity. And it's not by stopping sinning. We can't go around telling everybody you're bad for cussing and drinking and doing this. No, we have to share Jesus. Jesus will do the rest. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in a place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so people of Israel, people of Glasgow, would repent of their sins and be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and your scripture. Lord, I pray that, that our hearts are all in a place that you've put them today. Lord, that our hearts are ready to receive whatever it is that you are calling on our life. Lord, thank you for the Olfords and sharing their testimony, their tears and their struggles. Lord, thank you for everybody that it takes to put on a Sunday morning volunteers. Lord, as a family, may we work together to share your name more and more. Lord, we don't want to look like every other church. Lord, we want to look like your church. Lord, we want to look like your body. May you give us the faith, the strength, the forgiveness, and love to be able to do that. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.